that how powerful self-awareness is. Be accountable for your actions. Pay attention to how you're affecting others. And, and you know, how you're, how you're determining your own fate, you know? It, so many people want to blame the world for their problems and, and not take accountability. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Bloom, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, and as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who introduced herself. Uh, Crystal, please go ahead. Hi, I'm Chef Crystal Vasquez. I am from Fresno, California. I've been here my entire life. I have worked in the food industry for 20 years now. I've been a certified chef for 13. Um, Food is what I know and what I've become very passionate about. Um, In the last few years, uh, mainly since the pandemic, I can kind of use as a time frame. I really started getting involved um, in food insecurity. Um, food access has kind of been, become a passion of mine. I have now um, been volunteered in my community, um, trying to figure out ways to bridge the gaps in the food system in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, I also have uh, worked at places where I got to feed the uh, Senior Meals on Wheels program, the Head Start programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I then I just left as the director of an organization that feeds the homeless. Um, so now I'm branching out doing my own business finally. Um, and the idea is to be able to provide fresh, healthy foods to the community for a quality price. A lot of my soups and salads are farm to table. So I can um, kind of teach people to uh, appreciate food. I think in my latter years of, of thinking of leaving this industry, um, I just felt like once I started finding more purpose in food, uh, I, I felt more comfortable to say. So now I'm branching out from being a chef into finding my way into more community service goods and needs and uh, really just you know opening myself up to the possibilities uh, and just looking out towards the world. Um, I think really what happened was I just realized that one person that can make a difference and I've just been running with that ever since. Mm. That, that's a lot of, of, you know, what you've done. And I'm really excited about this because, um, you know, my, my listeners know this, this particular podcast is a spin-off of a hundred mile walk that I started to do in 2012. And I, I started to walk uh, every year, hundred mile to raise awareness, um, you know, about an end funds to end uh, hunger, poverty, and injustice. So I'm, I'm really passionate about what you're doing as well. Um, but before I have questions about, you know, your restaurant that you opened at the beginning of this year, if I'm not mistaken, and all the other th- things, you started with, you know, you grew up in Fresno. So when did you then get involved with food? You know, you were you were small when you started cooking, and how did that happen? So uh, my journey with food goes back as you know, I my. I think I'd say about seven, eight. My father 
got to a point in age where my father thought I was able to handle a stove, I guess. So it was like when I wanted a certain dish, he would um, pull me in and say, okay, I'll show you how to make it. And mm-hmm. next time you'll make it yourself. And so it kind of uh, became a thing where I'd cook, you know, dinner once or twice a week. And uh, I, I just started feeling this passion uh, to feed people. I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, I remember being young, like, how's it taste? How is it good? You know, coming at people and, uh, and, and being pleased with them being pleased. And so, um, definitely, uh, I saw the emotion that, and, you know, the cultural bonds and the things that went with it. I just never really thought into it much. Right. So it was just something like I, I did on the weekends. I would post for friends. I would little barbecues. I'd make little feasts. And I just wanted to feed people. And that's all it really was for a long time. Um, I ended up in, at working. My first job was at a KFC. Uh, I worked fast food, hopped into um, being a server and a host, well, a hostess and a busser, and then into a, a server. Um, I've worked pretty much every angle now of the food industry. So I started front of house. I said I was never going to go back. I went into like a uh, over the phone technical support thing I did for about a year and a half. And then I was, you know, going to community college and just kind of taking my general ed, not knowing where I was going to go with it. I don't even remember if I had a goal. I know when I was in high school, I wanted to be a marine biologist and uh, I wanted to go, I'd go to the Amazon and find, you know, cures for cancer. That was my thing. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I still kind of want like on that same journey, I think in essence, um, I, uh, so I then ended up uh, needing a ride. I remember it was in my twenties and I was kind of in a place of desperation and my friend and her, her, uh, you know, cousin-in-law, whatever, sister-in-law, uh, they were enrolling. She One had gone to culinary school and was going back to get uh, do the full term program. And the other one was just getting started. And I needed that ride somewhere afterwards. So I went with them and they talked me into culinary school. I said, <laughs> this is going to be a short term goal. I am um, just need something, you know, I need something. And, you know, I don't think I took it very serious the first month or two or first module or two. I think by the third module, I just something clicked. And I was like, I like this. And then from then on, I was serious. And I remember that, you know, that the, the uh, culinary, I had one culinary teacher for about half of my mods, the way it worked out in the evening classes. And he, he saw that, he saw that mm-hmm. initiative change, you know, because I remember, you know, I'll never forget the time I was, we were in baking was one of the first courses and we're standing in front of the stove and all of the burners are on. And I'm like, man, it's really hot. And he comes in and he turns them all on high and he walks <laughs> off. He says, get used to it. And so, you know, uh, and at that time, I really was still that little hard headed kid. I, I grew up being. And um, so it, when it switched, I, you know, nobody really believed in me. I didn't know what I didn't know what I was doing yet. I just kind of I, I knew that I had an opportunity because I had rest, I already had so much restaurant experience by that time. I had seven or eight years and uh, I just hopped in the back. No problem. I remember a lot of places were making me do the running and doing because I had that multi skill to deal with the customers, which a lot of cooks, you, you know, that they avoid. So um, and I try to do <laughs> as much as possible, um, which is funny because now my business, I can't. Um, but yeah, so. You know, my journey went on. I remember being in my early 20s, um, cooking in multiple kitchens all over the city. Um, I was hard headed. I didn't want to stay anywhere long. 
I wanted to learn as much as possibly could. And if I couldn't move up, I moved down. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the restaurant industry has got a high turnover. It's, um, it's a nitty gritty place. You know, you're not always going to find a very comfortable work environment, especially as a female. And there's definitely, I've had to put up with a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me a long time to get to um, start managing kitchens. I think I was about five or six years in, which is takes on some people a lot more time because you know, I had that, like I said, I had that, that overall aspect of the restaurant industry. Um, I, there were several times I wanted to run away and leave the industry. I went back to school in 2018 mm -hmm. to study colonology, food science and nutrition, um, because I believe in the concepts of healing through food. This was when I was still very early on. Um, and then that's kind of where I stumbled upon uh, the definition of food insecurity, um, mm -hmm. food deserts um and i just started looking at statistics and i was so baffled uh and that's kind of where my motion um changed you know um being in the central valley uh, i heard stories of my father and my aunts and my tias and my tios were like talking about picking grapes in the in in the fields when they were kids and mm -hmm. um it's kind of one of the things i think my father left a big legacy of of working hard he always worked really hard you know and so like that those were stories i kind of heard it was like oh, you know the walking to school in the snow kind of stories right and, yeah. and uh so those kind of things like that we you know my father grew up um poor and um from then he went to the navy try to pick up pick up a life for his, himself and then ended up getting married afterwards he had me later in life and he's kind of was that wisdom that old soul that that really I mean he's still here but yeah he you know that that led me kind of on this journey without knowing it I guess I my dream is really to work on like I said food access so I have ideas now that I've come up with um, that I want to implement here in the valley mm -hmm. so something I haven't mentioned is that when I started getting involved in this, I had some ideas, some community projects, basically. And I'm, you know, as chef, no idea what I'm talking about, really. I've just got these good ideas, like some simple solutions, you know. So I start reaching out to the people all over the county, all over different organizations, different CBOs. I mean, the health department. Um, somehow I got led into a Zoom um, for Fresno Metro Ministries. They were creating work groups to create the Food Policy Council of Fresno County. Mm -hmm. um, which is still in order. They're still working on, you know, the development of that. Um, but two years in, I, you know, I, I did a lot of research. I had a lot of free time. I was going to school full time at the, when I first started. So I participated in every work group, you know, uh, mm -hmm. and I learned so much along the way. I ended up um, kind of branching out more into community needs and stuff. So like I, I volunteer on my city council review committee um, for my district. Um, I did the work for the the uh, kind of that development stages for Fresno Metro. And that that's where that passion really grew for food in a different manner. Um, knowing, finding out that the San Joaquin Valley is second lowest in food security in the nation just baffled me. And I couldn't, I, you know, I had to figure out why, like, why is this happening? You know, we are the breadbasket of the world, yet we are one of the most starving people you know cities and counties really and so you look at it and it's like the people that process these foods and and handle them hardly have enough food for their own families so it's 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 a devastating factor which really opened my mind to 
the food systems and how mm-hmm. how broken they are. I say broken, people kind of, you know, I think they deter from that word because it's, it's almost offensive, but, um, you know, and that's kind of where we're at. It's where our systems are, are have felt and they're continuing to fail us. And so I think I see myself just doing whatever I can, whether it's my spicy meatball where I raise enough capital to create food hubs and promote food co-ops and in food deserts in the San Joaquin Valley or, you know, or beyond. Um, I'm just, I'm ready to go. I want to, mm-hmm. I want to make a difference. I, I love cooking. I love being a chef. That's always a passion of mine that I will enjoy. I love like doing the caterings and I have um, a lot of uh, creativity um, to me. So like, I like, I like interior decorating and gardening and kind of those little mm-hmm. miscellaneous things um that uh, allow me to do great event planning so um kind of versatile so I enjoy all those things I think that will never leave but I really have a dream of feeding a starving nation and that's kind of you know how can I get there I I mean I I don't know how I can even feed my county yet but I want to help out however I can So for now, it's the spicy meatball. It's um, that I'm doing my favorite pastas that I like to make um, with my, you know, signature sauces. And then I'm doing my spicy meatball and meatball sandwiches. This is one of those other spontaneous whim things, kind of like mm-hmm. culinary school. It was close. I, I came to somebody in the small business, um, the better the small business administration and was asking for help about creating my food hub and he told me i needed you know the guy that was helping me told me i needed to create a uh, a revenue source and i'm like well i'll get grants i even took a grant writing course at fresno state and some Mm. other things to kind of equip me to live out these goals and um he's you know you still need one and so uh, we got stuck for a second and i started telling him about my chef career because he knew nothing about me and he's what brandy yourself he told me he's you're the revenue he's like you 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 know what you're doing you have this part down he's like do this and um to me I laughed I'm like I'm more humble than that you know I don't see myself on on a a a line of seasonings you know in the store or something but you know that's the kind of thing he was pitching to me um so I left and I uh told him I wasn't you know I'm like, no, nah, I'll think about it. I'm not really keen to this, you know. I had an interview to uh, for the, to be the head of executive chef of the entire school district in this area, which is huge. Um, they turned me down. And I think I just was like so expected to get it. And um, at that point, I was like, well, what do you have left, Crystal? Because you, you don't want to go work in I can go work in a restaurant. I'm sure I can work my way up or start off as an executive chef in a restaurant. But to me, that's I want more purpose and, and meaning behind what I do. And I want to help people. And to me, it's becoming not just what's on that plate. It's that, the whole aspect that goes around that, that meal. So um, I, you know, I came to a place of different desperation and I was starting to sell food. I, I ended up selling food out of chafing dishes in the back of my car. Don't tell anybody. I mean, everybody's listening, but <laughs> it was a one-time event and uh, it scared the crap out of me. And it, to me, it was like, this is where your career has gotten you, right? After all these years, mm-hmm. 
So the next day I called the guy back from the small business bureau and I said, okay, let's do this. How do I get this done? Cause I'm never doing this again. I can't live this on my conscience. This is not how I prepare food and this is not how I sell it. This is not me. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this right. So, um, you know, he led me some steps and here I am a few months later. Um, and I'm, you know, I've, I've, I took last week off for the holidays, but my first week was before that. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a journey. Um, it's going to be a journey. I'm hoping the spicy meatball is only going to be, you know, three to five year projects in mm -hmm. some, but something that will live on through my children. I have a, my oldest is in the Air Force right now, but my um, middle child is 16. And I feel like this is something that he would want to take on. And, you know, and I'm hoping that he will. Um, and then that still creates that revenue stream that I can have to mm -hmm work on the food hubs and have that grow. So, um, you know, the journey is endless in food. And I'm, I think after spending so many years confined to, you know, the industry, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've worked in hospitals. I worked at colleges. I worked in hotels, it wasn't just restaurants, but, um, it, to me, it's like, I'm seeing such a larger picture and I want to make a difference in a larger scale. So I, you know, I'm running with that. I am also on the board of directors for gogreenlocally.org, which is, um, a, you know, based on sustainability and community. So from there, I've been able to help kind of create an action plan just going off of my experiences and, and, and how can you help community through food access kind of thing. So, I mean, I haven't got to do as much as I would like, but I, I try to give myself credit for the little that I have done, so. Yeah, I, I think you, you know, when I looked at your bio that you sent, you have you have done a lot. I, I would like to um, take a couple of steps back to, to really understand. The, the first question that I have for you is, uh, so was your dad also in, in the culinary business or not at all? No, my father worked at the post office when he got out okay. of. So you're the, the first in your family that, that goes in this direction. Uh, yeah, I guess when he, you know, his story, as I recall, was uh, his father told him, sign up for the one you want or they're going to take you for whatever they're going to take you for. So he was like, well, I want to go in the Navy then. So, he, you know, he just joined, I think, because out of fear of being recruited into something he didn't want to do. And so um, then, you know, from there he got out and he got a job at the post office, retired from the post office when I was in high school. He was, like I said, he was older when he had me. I think he was 38. So he's always kind of been on that. The others, the, where my, my mother was 12 years younger. And so they, you know, there was this huge generational gap between them. Um, and I think I just, some, you know, some things came from mom and then some things came from dad and the cooking came from him. And I remember like when I first started, he would come to me with his recipes. Look, I tried this, I did this, I did that. And and now I can't get him up to do anything much these days, but I cook for him. He, he has it made. So, um, but you know, um, like I said, you know, that's something I'll never forget. And that's kind of something I with my kids too. A lot of the moralism that I did get, um, it wasn't a lot that I was raised with, um, but I, I, you know, I try to pass those things on that, mm -hmm. those old generational things that our society is missing today. So definitely um, a lot of those moralisms come from him.
I mean, when I was listening to you, um, you know, when you were studying and you found out that there are these food deserts and a lot of people don't have food access, not every every chef would say, okay, now I've become a community development person, you know, an activist as well. So where did that come from? A um, couple of different things. Um, I definitely think realizing that I had gone through and my children had gone through food insecurity for a majority of our lives um was really shocking um I guess I just never had a word for it <laughs> you know I'd been through it and I I felt it I felt it in my core and uh, I still do obviously um also in 2019 I uh, lost my son to SIDS he was six weeks old uh so sure. and my heart needed something mm-hmm. it needed healing I needed hope I went to church more I got more involved um but I needed more purpose than that and so I think it just like was just the right thing at the right time that really spoke to my heart. That and then that that I'm a I'm a very I'm an empath, obviously. Um and that always wanting to help others and always do more for others, but not knowing how, you know, being a single mother for the majority of my life, I barely could um provide. I I had my first child when I was 13. So, um, you know, I grew up with my first one. I didn't know, I didn't know what I was feeding him right from wrong or after, you know, after the age of five, luckily I had parenting classes and the daycare at the school, um, to teach me some of those things. But, you know, he, I think it was until he was in his teens that he was like, mom, I don't want to eat this crappy food. You know, um, something I didn't think I really mentioned was I was always raised on the dinners were always a protein. My father uh, found out he was diabetic when I was really young. And he, uh, so it was always a protein and a, po- a box of something and a can of something. <laughs> and that was our meals. And and um, when I got to culinary school, there were so many things I didn't know how to cook. I didn't realize I didn't know because <laughs> I had a pasta roni and I had a rice roni. I had these things and, uh, you know, I didn't realize these nutritional things when I started. I think something clicked in my head because I was going to school, right, for this healing through food, but I really didn't understand so much. I'd taken a nutrition course in culinary school, but it wasn't the same as it is in, you know, community college. I think when I took it and I realized the importance of food and the effects of ultra processed foods, I was just baffled and it was kind of just like it it all hit me at once. I remember I was taking, when I was taking that nutrition course, I was also taking an early childhood development and education and nutrition course at the same time. And I think that's kind of where those two definitions kind of came in. Um, I had, you know, participated in the daycare at high school all four years. I, um, and then afterwards in their, my, my children's classrooms, my niece's daycare, I, my mother was a student teacher in my classroom when I was a kid. Um, so I think it kind of like carried on um, you know, I've been a mother most of my life. <laughs> so I think it just really touched me a lot. Um, and I could just, it's like my brain just something clicked and all these endless possibilities just like came to mind. I think I'm a problem, natural problem solver. I have ADHD. So my brain like automatically comes up with like 10 solutions for every problem. <laughs> and then I have to like compute them out and figure out which one's the best. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's something that like when I started participating in these work groups, uh, I just, well, why don't we do this? 
how come we aren't doing this? Why? They're like, everyone's looking at me like, well, yeah, you make it sound so simple. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> obviously I didn't know any of the logistics of it, any of the things that I was saying, but um, something that I realized when I started going to those meetings, because I'll tell you, I, the first time I showed up in one of those Zooms, I, I didn't want to get back one in one ever again. These people just looking at me like, what is she doing here? Who gave her this invite? <laughs> you know, I'm with the head of the the head of the uh, city planning. I'm in the head of the uh, health department and uh, the why, why did they ask you? Why did they ask you to? Uh, because I told them I, at the time what I wanted to do and I still would love to do something like this or see it done is create a community, multi-resource community center, mm -hmm. kind of somewhere where you could go in. And this, this, this is where I say it clicked in my head. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, well, why, why don't we create a place where people can go, they can get evaluated, do a, a, a physical, meet with the dietitian, make a dietary plan, go into a free gym, learn how to, to use the equipment and how to work out at home have a small community garden in that area. People can learn to cultivate and grow and a small demo kitchen where you can teach people how to make healthy, fresh foods and make them tasteful. And so I, that was the idea that I was calling everybody in the city about. And so they're like, okay, well, she's got some decent ideas. She's definitely passionate about this. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, I think I intrigued somebody enough to where they, they're okay. like, okay, yeah. she can come in. But everybody else is like, uh, you know, I remember I stepped out at one point uh, for a couple months when I started at EOC. When I hopped back in, the the head of uh, this, one of the organizations here, and she, she's also like head of the, uh, one of the board members for the school district. And she said, who are you again? I'm like, oh, I'm just a local chef. <laughs> you know, and it's and and it, there have those moments where I let that feeling get to me, like I'm just a chef. But I think, like I said, that that problem solving, that that ability to want to help others, that drive to see change, it just fuels me. And I think people catch catch it every once in a while. Mm -hmm. Most people think I'm just ranting on, and like you know, half of my friends don't want to hear about food security or food access or. Uh, regenerative agriculture, whatever, <laughs> whatever little, you know, passionate uh, things that I talk about. But um, I always say I'll find my people. Eventually I'll find my people and yeah. um, I'll be in the right environment to, to make that change. So for now, I just keep going. Yeah, so I mean, just you know, for the for the listeners, I I think if I have this right, you know, while you were participating in those working groups, you were also the executive chef, right, of the Fresh yes, Economic yes. Opportunities Commission. So you were feed, you had fifty staff, and you were, you know, you were feeding yeah. how many people? Uh, thirty five hundred, I believe it was a weekly, or or eight thousand weekly, thirty five hundred a day, or something like that, yeah. roughly. So oh, that's yeah. that's pretty amazing. So, yeah. so you had something. And I was on overload, and I was and, yeah. yeah. So yeah. there was a there was a time I was on overload for sure a few times. Um, <laughs> I just uh, re uh, did my oath again and got re put back yeah. into the the committee that I'm on for my uh, my city council. And um, I'm like, okay, well, right now your life is you know it's about to get rocky again, you know, because the business is starting. I can see it. Even uh, the uh, the uh, Owned, the founder of uh, Go Green Locally. She's like, Crystal, you can hop out anytime. You know, I don't want you to go on overload. Uh, 
I tend to, with the ADHD, like to find myself busy and using every moment as productive as possible. And that's a gift and a curse. <laughs> so, you know, I have to find my time for rest as well. Yeah. But I, so I you- get I, I get fulfilled by helping community. Mm-hmm. There's something, you know, that sparks and, and keeps me going and thriving. And I wish that everybody would open themselves up to that because, um, you know, when I was at the Pavarella house and uh, people were coming in to volunteer and stuff, you know, we, I, I made a joke and I guess they hadn't heard it before, but it was like, people come in to get their fix, you know, their, their volunteer fix because it makes them feel good about themselves. And it's no joke. It really is. You know, it makes you feel liberated. It really does. I mean, there's much more purpose behind that, but I see why people do it often, you know? And so I also volunteered in a lot of different other little things too, you know, the downtown association or, um, the, you know, there's multiple things, the feeding Fresno, just the food distributions at my church, um, just anything that I possibly can. If I have a free moment and somebody asks for help, I did, I'll be there. Um, mm-hmm. when my son was attending, I did the youth, um, on Wednesday, every Wednesday. So I was doing church like three times a week, a couple, like two years ago, during all that time that you're mentioning, I was also doing that. So, I mean, my days were never ending and it's, it's unfortunate because, uh, you know, I like, I really enjoyed that at that place but I could not get up at four o'clock every morning and not end till 10 o'clock at night you know I, I was depleting myself so I was yeah. glad that I was able to find the Pavarello mm. and 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 just for, for our listeners that is um you stopped working at the uh, at Fresno EOC in January 2023 and then you started working at the uh, Pavarello house right yes and but then you also have your own restaurant. Do I? No. So right? yeah, the the little because the restaurant didn't come until June or July. So oh. so it was the first six months that I was at the Pavarello. It was I was hired, contracted into them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was so weird for that one how I, it was just meant to be. I guess at the moment they really needed somebody. The chef that they had before mm-hmm. um, was had been out for a long time on a medical leave and it looked like it maybe go longer and extend. So they, they were losing quality. They were losing structure. They were losing, they needed a chef and the organization wasn't able to afford one before like a, you know, a, you know, certified mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Um, but I guess I had applied for a job there um, that had nothing to do with food actually I applied I knew that I knew who the chef was and I didn't know you know the details but I didn't even bother they didn't have the, they didn't have it posted up or anything I applied for like a shelter uh, associate or something that helps people find housing and um, the CEO emailed me back and he said I, I see that you applied for this position but I also see that you're a chef and uh, we are looking for somebody would you like to come in and talk about it I said, well, actually, I'm already signed up to volunteer this week, so I will be there already. And so um, we met and mm. he he told me what they were looking for and what they needed. And um, it was it worked out perfect. They needed they just needed somebody to to build that structure, to um, increase the quality of food, give them the training that they needed. 
And I was able to do that in a very short amount of time for them. And it came in a perfect essence where they're actually opening a sit down restaurant that will be free to the public. So uh, it's come in instead of coming in, standing in line and getting a meal, you're going to sit down and get treated like a restaurant. So uh, I was able to get them all away up into that point um, to where now we're waiting on construction. We're just building those habits, the development. I was able to create cycle menus for them where they can um, still have a variety of meals, but it's not so repetitive. It was, you know, every three weeks it would start over. So you have a different meal for every day. I also made sure that when I was creating that, I was um, putting in uh, cuisines and dishes from all over the world. I think it was really important that, you know, these people need something. And I remember when I got there, the stuff that they did have were like, what is a garnish? Why are you putting that on the plate? They don't care. And it's like, when I got there, it's not that, and the food wasn't terrible when I got there. I have to say that. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about the Pavarillo at all. Um, the, but I think there was like this, you know, I mean, even when I was in culinary school, it was like, don't mess up. Don't miss too much school. You're going to get your internship at the Pavarillo. It's like somewhere you didn't want to go cook, right? And it mm. really just has this huge stigma. Um, and I think I was able to break that. People were standing in line to come and get food. And they were pushing their plate away and angry. And uh, it changed. It, it went to people's places lighting up and then thanking everybody and saying mm. how much they loved the last, you know, this meal or that meal or when are you going to make that again? And, and and I think they just started to feel appreciated and, and, and something to look forward to, you know. Mm. And it's hard because, you know, my mother is uh, now homeless and uh, living on the streets for the majority of the time. And choosing that lifestyle and um she would come in and get food while i was working and stuff and um and you know the people I, i'd never told anybody that um when i started working there so i think when it happened people you know obviously they think the boss is like you know stuck up or whatever and then they saw that humility you know for me to go out and talk to her and so sorry you guys that was my mother you know and um and see i'm a you know i'm a human i've i've not had an easy life at all and that has made me persevere and made me so strong and um unstoppable in essence I guess um and I I'm determined for sure <laughs> so you know um I wanted to put that love into that food that like it was my family because it was my family so I was able to give that touch to them so I'm really happy that I was able to do that and I I uh I'm sad to leave somewhere like that where I have meaning, but I have to also start working on what I want to do because mm. I can only press another organization to live out my dreams so far, right? <laughs> it's not going to ever be until yeah. I, I do this myself, so. Yeah, and, and thank you for sharing that. Um, and And so around the summer you you started your own yes yes uh, so personal. yeah so um yeah what do you hope because you you gave us a in the beginning a quick you know about your magic uh dish your main dish and what what do you dream of where, where do you hope ultimately your restaurant will go i you know i, I because you would like to go national global but what do you see 
I see, I see the spicy meatball being something that is inside of my food hub. So the food co-ops that I want to create. So the idea that I, I have that will kind of fill these gaps in the system creates a network, which the, there are ways and people that are working on it um, of far, to the farmers, to the people directly. Because one of the huge things that we found in the gaps in the system here in the valley is that even though this food is grown in our backyards, it is being transported out of the Central Valley and then sold and brought back. And then we're paying delivery fees on top of it. So we're paying twice, almost sometimes twice as much for the same food that we, if we just bought directly. Um, so that it would eliminate that and which would also help with, you know, you know, the, the air, but it would also, um, lower the prices. And then once it builds a huge community network and that's where my centralized hub would be, then I can start promoting food co-ops in the, in smaller areas where I provide them the warehouse that I would have would ha provide them a meeting space to um, have community meetings and, and, and really plan and develop their own food co-ops and then distribute that food out. I see the spicy meatball being in the food co-ops as that hot. I, I saw this place that um, just recently came out. I do a lot of research on these things. So I, I loved it. It was a, you could pay for it with your food stamps, but it was a hot meal. And so it was, you buy the ingredients, the fresh ingredients, and then you give them to them. And in return, they give you a hot meal. So it was like this loophole that they kind of found to be able to provide healthy, fresh food to people that they can eat then. So I see something like that happening where the spicy meatball is that, that where, uh, you can get that. I just read in a article, I want to say with the inflation that's happening with food right now, people, the first thing to go is when they're shopping for food, regardless is, is going to be that fresh produce. And so we're, we've already got I, another thing that I read that was baffling was we already have, I think it's like, there's a I think less than 10% of, of um, food industry our food retailers have enough fresh food to sustain a, a healthy diet. So most places, and then the others, most of them don't even have anything fresh or unprocessed. So the options of having a good meal that you don't cook at home is either outrageous or hard or, or just completely unavailable to most people. So I know being a cook sometimes it, through my years, there's, I wanted to come home and not cook again. <laughs> you know, I cooked all day. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, on my enduring uh, catering season uh, or the holidays, we, we get so busy that we don't have time or we're too exhausted. And, and I know that it's not just the food industry. That's so many people um, that have to resort to these cheap, quick meals for the families because of, well, and then with the, all, you know, the cost of living go, increasing so rapidly, people don't have their, they're picking up extra hours on top of it, right? Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's like, we, 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 we need to find this balance. And so that's why I think the spicy meatball, the way I came up with it was to be able to provide that, that those meals. So something that besides the food pop-up where I'll have my basic meals, I'll have that catering service available, but I'll also have available these options to do family, family meals where, uh, you know, you put it pre-order your family meals and then they're just dropped off and you can either set up a whole week's worth, or you can, you know, pick a day of the week that you want to just get one meal kind of giving that variety to people. Um, and, and 
and at that cost, because I'm not, you know, yes, obviously I want to sustain myself and my business, but I also want to help people. And if I can't do that and all that I dream of right now, I can, what I can do is provide them a tasty meal that is health and nutrient dense and, 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 and tasty. It's just like, I think the, the stigma of I, it drives me nuts. Like people think, oh, healthy, it doesn't taste good. It's like, where did you get this idea? You know, I would love to change that. Um, I, I always, as I mentioned to you, you know, this podcast is a spin-off of my 100 mile walk. So I always had a question also about, you know, um, what would make you to walk 100 miles? Which course? Well, I, that's very clear. You have made it clear to me why you would walk 100 miles. Um, but when I'm doing my 100 mile walk, um, I'm some, sometimes accompanied by others and we talk about life, you know, what drives us and etc. And very often we talk about religion and spirituality as well. And it probably has to do something with walking that you ask yourself the question, well, why, why am I here? Um, so I have a question for you in terms of youth and religion and spirituality, um, because a lot of my guests are saying, oh, you know, the, the younger generation, they are different. Um, you know, they don't have religion or if they have a religion, they don't go to church or they are spiritual. And some are saying no. What, what do you see among your in your community um, among the youth in terms of religion and spirituality? Because um, I heard so, you say, you know, you go to church, yeah, right? So that's yeah, important yeah. for I you. I do go to yeah. church. And um, for about a year, I was I was um, helping in the youth program at church mm. as well. So every Wednesday, we'd go and do that with the kids. And well, my son would go hang out and me and my daughter would just help out however we could. Yeah. Uh, it was a way for me to help build a relationship with my son and, um, you know, try to understand the youth a little bit better mm. and, 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 you know. We were, I could see that we were separating and I had no idea how to get us back on path. Um, and I have to say, I think that there's, there's two things. There's a huge desperation for purpose and meaning and to feel love from the youth. And then there's this also this huge uh, fear of being judged for believing. Um, and um when you combine those two, it leaves kids so confused. They don't know what to do. They want, mm. they're being told that, you know, they can find sense and purpose and, and feel loved by their creator or, and then their friends and family are, are laughing at them because they, they say they believe in God. So, you know, I think there, uh, there's many that want to find a relationship or find, mm. you know, meaning in life and, and spirituality in general. I think they just don't know how and they don't feel like they feel like they're alone in it. So they just stray from it. And it's sad because, um, you know, for me as a youth, I, my father was raised uh, Jehovah witness. My mother was raised Mormon and um, I found Christianity through my mom's sobriety. Um, one of the times she had came back home, you know, she dragged, she dragged me into church with the, my my best friend since second grade her mother um took her my mother to another church and um i went on wednesdays to awana at which we played games and learned bible verses for money and that sustained me 
um, until my 20s when I started stepping into church again. Just those Bibles verses that I remembered as a kid. So I, I, I have hope for kids. I really do. I think, I think if you can reach them and, and, they, and they can believe for just a moment that there's hope for them. I think there's too much in this world that's keeping them and censoring them from God, our religion. And, you know, the focus just has to shift. Marked kids should should know that they can make a difference and help somebody else out by just stating what they believe. You know, it's kind of how I got here and this far in my journey is just stating what I, you know, what I believe, what's right from wrong and finding those things and, and standing with them. So I think the youth has hope. And I think that the way that the world is just so many catastrophes after another, especially with climate change and climate disasters, that there's a fear that's being built in people in general that the youth are going to need something. And once, the, hopefully, I really hope that they find that in, in you know, in, in religion, because if you go, go to the world today, um, they're really, you know, there's, there's hard to find hope other and other places. And, and that's just the reality. Okay. So I think, you know, it, it goes back to that kind of looking into that inner development that you mm -hmm. were, you were, um, you had sent me and, and mm -hmm. going in and reading that it's like the children need to there's there's more that we need to focus on establishing in our youth before we send them out into the world mm -hmm. like understanding their feelings and understanding their beliefs and what they you know um there's just too many things that that have gone to the wayside that are so important in development development of a good a good a good you know human being in general yeah. so mm -hmm. I, I would like to to piggyback on what you just said because you you know I I do send uh, the link to the inner development goals to all my guests before we talk because I uh, for me um, it is related with the sustainable development goals and the sustainable development goals are those seventeen goals that the world came up with to make our world more sustainable and SDG two sustainable development goal number two is end hunger you know something that you're working on and you are talking about you know the food system has to change. And, you know, the SDGs are, are about that, about system changes that need to happen. But, you know, this growing group of people said, you know, one of the reasons that we are not getting there is because we never paid attention to the ability, skills and knowledge that you need as an individual and as a community to really help to change those systems. So, and therefore they come up with the inner development goals. So I ask everybody of my guests to look into that. So, so what are, what, what were you thinking when you read that? Were you familiar already with the inner development goals? I, I, I was not in, in that detail, obviously yeah. not in that perspective. Yeah. Um, it was kind of enlightening to me because it's something that I've really been doing myself in the last few mm -hmm. years, you know, ever since my son's passing. It is like getting I got in my Bible and I started reading about myself and I I said you know all your life Crystal you thought you were this amazing person but you know you're just as flawed as everyone else uh, and I had to go back and start changing some habits and some behaviors and um, really stemming to the root of of why I am the way I am and um, I think I've already I kind of talked to, about this in a um, a webinar where we were discussing uh, childhood aces and um, I we were talking about it was with a bunch of social workers and they were just talking about identifying children and aces and you know tra traumas that they've been through and numbering them 
And and it kind of irked me at a certain point where I was like, okay, so you're numbering children by their traumatic events that they've been through. What are you doing to make a difference? What are you, was there any point that you stop and tell these parents, hey, I know that you were raised being hit, but that doesn't mean it's okay to hit your children. You know, things like this is, when do we stop and we we work on these issues? And it's it's the same with like therapy. It's like, these are things that we should be teaching children immediately every time a child gets in a fight or a child loses a family member or any of those things those those are those where we stop and we ask them how does that make you feel and 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 heal those moments now so they don't become these detrimental impacts on their future or their lives where they hate the world or the people in it or whatever it may be right uh, these damages that that these scar tissues continue to build and and to tear people and I think if, if we could just kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's like it said in the video, it's, it's, it's hard, it's hard to teach old dog new tricks, right? It's, but if we start with the youth, we give ourselves a starting point. It's the same thing that we said with about nutritional eating uh, in these work groups is if, you, if a child brings home or at, at a food and says, and their parents have never seen it, they're going to try it. If their kid is asking them to try something, they're going to try it. Or if the kid, they're at a grocery store and the kid says, Hey mom, I want to try a kiwi. I've never had this. You never buy these. The parents are going to try it too. Right. So it's kind of this inner way to not only building a, a new f- future and kind of giving us a fresh start, but it, it kind of interplans these seeds into the adults as well. And, and that gives that, that hope that maybe we can make a difference that way because we're stuck in our ways. And that's, that's very apparent. And um, nobody wants to be told what to do or how to do it anymore. And so it's, it seems like it's, it's, nobody's listening. And I think if we can start building those skills in our children through just building curriculum around it, you know, like how do, I think I had made a post once that was like, we teach children to treat each other with respect, but when do we teach, you know, I wish they would have taught us that about the earth. Like we need to reciprocate back to the earth as much as we take from it. And we obviously are in the situation because we haven't. Um, We, we need to be more self-conscious of, of what we're doing and every impact of, you know, it's like, nothing's for free. Oh, I got this for free. No, somebody paid a price along the way, regardless if it was a human or an animal or a plant or, you know, something that wasn't given back. And, and 95% of the time, anything that's been industrialized or produced through industrialism has never given anything back. And so, you know, I have I, my concepts about that too, but I think it's holding people accountable. And until we actually do, people aren't going to change those things on their own. So that's why I feel like the hope of, of building these developmental skills we can find in, in, in the younger generations mm. and hope that they can spread into the older. But trying to start with the parents and get them to influence their children, it's not going to work that way. It's it's a lot about connecting, right? You you, you mm-hmm. just talked about you know connecting or reconnecting, you know the elderly with the younger with the youth. Uh, I, I'm so happy I was we were finally able to connect, although we were connected on LinkedIn, but we never had spoken uh, with each other. Um, what I hope this this podcast is also doing is that I connect you with listeners, or I connect you with my previous guests. So um, I came up with a you know asking my guests to come up with a question for my next guest. So my previous guest has a question for you. And the question for you is, 
Yeah, I am curious if there's a lesson from a book or something that you've read recently that seemed to have direct relevancy to something you were trying to achieve. And what was the lesson that you learned? I think I kind of talked about that a little bit already, mm -hmm. kind of in that direct way. I think something that I read more recently that really stuck with me and uh, just kind of about these tipping points, you know, reading about mm -hmm. this, we're now at a two, two degrees Celsius um, and our oceans. And here's another tipping point that we've hit and um, nobody wants to listen. It's kind of like uh, watching, you know, watching everybody ignore the world ending. It's, it's like, are we really here? <laughs> Nobody's just, either they just don't want to talk about it or they don't want to feel like they're accountable. Or I think I read, you know, that something that stuck with me was that scientists no longer can determine our future. And when I read that, I just, I was baffled because I think my whole life it was like, you know, we we trusted what the weatherman said when we were kids. Are we, we, uh, we could look ahead and, and know that, okay, it's going to rain the next week. But just finding that the future is unknown from the people that are the ones that tell, have always told us the future, I kind of just opens my mind and, and I, I just wonder, like, when are people going to really wake up and, and start making those changes individually so that we can all survive? And I think it just stuck with me. Um, so, you know, I think, it made me feel like I needed to do more and I have no idea how um, I try to do as much obviously as I possibly can, uh, but I'm willing to do more. I just don't know how, you know, and I think when I, when I went through that process in my head, I thought about how many people don't know they want to make a change. They want to help, but they don't know how. And I think that just shows us that we have a long way to go with a very little bit of time. So we, it's, it's got to be a group effort, you know, and I just I just pray for the world and, and the people in it and just hope that we can come to, you know, uh, our senses and, and start reciprocating back to the world uh, what we've taken from it and hope that we can, you know, make a future for the rest the rest of the way. I, I assume when people, you know, go come to your restaurant and they see that, you know, um, ultimately your hope to to give you know part of the proceeds you know, the earnings back to a community in need they will ask you questions i guess you know why you do that and where it's going right so so yeah. that's that's a direct um yeah I, I think that's definitely not i think i for sure this is definitely changing the world and the way we look at at uh, things and you know it's one person at a time um Absolutely. yeah any you know your question for the next guest for me, I know I have my moments where I do find that balance between work and work and home life, um, you know, conflicting, just kind of what maybe something along the lines like how to, you know, what made you most successful in your most pressing moments where you had to put that balance in where work was pressing everything out of you, home was pressing out of you, what, what kind of techniques and uh, interpersonal skills did you use to kind of get through those things? In in the US, um, 
either until recently or maybe he's still doing this, Steve Hartman of CBS was looking at one simple act of kindness and you know the potential to create a ripple effect. And I have two questions to you about this. Is one, what do you what do you think about the potential of a small act of kindness in terms of you know uh, the potential of causing a, a ripple effect? And then the second question I have is, is if I would ask you now, right now on the spot, to commit to one simple act of kindness this week, um, this coming week, what would you do? Calling a friend. And and like yesterday I, I did, somebody, somebody called me and I was busy, but I called back anyways and I could tell that she needed me. And I kind of dismissed it a little. And then I called her back again and I'm like, okay, I have my focus on you now. What, how can I help you? What What do you need from me? Do you need me to listen? Do you need my time? I can adjust my schedule. You know, um, random act of kindness is just letting somebody know that you care or like listen is, is one of the easiest things that people you can do for somebody that it just literally takes maybe, you know, a couple minutes of your time. You don't have to actually give anything, but, but you're, you know, you're listening ear and, you know, maybe some strong words of encouragement but it just comes naturally now at a certain point for me but i you know that's just something i try to try to do so and then the other one was does it have a ripple effect absolutely absolutely people don't you can change somebody's entire life mm -hmm. by opening a door for them um you know i've seen i've seen it where you know somebody's heart completely changes just by somebody handing them a dollar or you know giving them a ride look at what happened to me somebody gave me a ride and look at where i'm at now <laughs> you know so um that you know it, it really can it really can make a difference hey um music is very important to me so i always ask a question about music as well um if I would ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song um, that embodies for a big part what you are about, which piece of music or song would that be and why? I saw this question and I just got stuck. I <laughs> The most <laughs> difficult question, according to my guests. So. Well, I like, you know, I like the Beatles. All you need is love is something I was showing my daughter the other day. It goes back to my father's music, mm. uh, but uh, and listening to it and just it's like the world is this in desperate need of being loved. Mm. <laughs> it's like the world itself, the people in it. Um, and I think for me, it was a hard question because I, I've for the last seven years or so, I've listened to nothing but Christian music mm. so and all kinds of genres. But I, you know, I was like, nobody's going to really know. There's a, a song that's called New Wine by uh, a few different people sing it, tribal music or yeah. Hillsong. Um, but it's just kind of, it's it says in it, uh, make me a vessel, make me, you know, an offering, um, make me whatever you want me to be. And it's kind of, I listen to it all the time because... Mm. I, I I just I just want to be a purpose and help others mm. and live out a path right by God and and you know make a difference in this world. So um, that right. that would probably be it. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, the title was a new. Uh, new wine. It's new a make wine. me a okay. new yeah because it's make me a new wine. So it's make like new. okay, renew me. Yeah. And and 
and I'm sure we we uh, can add that to the um you know I made a special Spotify playlist um if you search for hashtag walk talk listen you see all the songs that have been selected by my guests and that is from you know gospel to hard rock um, <laughs> you know jazz to name it it's all it's all there it's it's uh I, I think it's a pretty cool oh yeah it's a hard I mean I love music and all genres so I like, I'm really into music a lot so that's like a really hard question for me for some reason the rest I was like I'll wing it but you know that one I, I, I didn't know yeah it's like maybe it'll just come to me last minute <laughs> and it did um you know these these conversations always go fast um any any last message uh, invitation or question for the listeners um i think when i was reading through your interview questions mm -hmm. it, it was something you know when you were asking about you know the the sustainable goals and and the inner development goals is self-awareness i think people that was you know one of those things like what would you want people to know mm -hmm. and it's just that how powerful self-awareness is be accountable for your actions. Pay attention to how you're affecting others. And, and you know, how you're, how you're determining your own fate. You know, it's, so many people want to blame the world for their problems and, and not take accountability. And I know with my experience of looking back in my life, I, I, when I got to EOC um, is when all this kind of really started, the self-development at least. I had come into a place in my life where I finally had some contentment and some, you know, safety net where I felt, you know, life was going okay. And that was the first time where I didn't have to live in survival mode. And um, I remember looking back and, and uh, like, it seemed to me like my life had been like a, a triathlon. I had been running around these <laughs> circles and heaping over these hurdles and never looking back. I didn't have time. I just got to keep going. And then I got to a place where I, I was able to look back. And once I did, I, I almost broke me. Um, there were so many things I hadn't healed from. I never had time to. I just had to keep going. I think that we all do that in essence. And, um, you know, with the one thing or everything. Um, but those things, if we don't take the time to go back and, and, and heal ourselves, broken people break people too, you know. So it's it's that you know be aware just be aware of who you are and the impacts you're making because uh some may seem minor but like if we go back to that ripple effect you never know how badly uh you know isn't and, and i don't mean just in our actions and our behaviors but in our purchases mm -hmm. and our our routines there's a lot of things that we do that that affect others that we just simply don't don't even pay attention to Thank you so much, uh, Crystal. I, I really enjoyed the conversation. I'm, I'm sure people are really cu curious now about everything you do. So we make sure that we put your website on the podcast now so they can find you. Um, yeah, any, any last, any question that I should have asked you that I didn't? Well, I think, you know, I'm an open book. I kind of just spill off information regardless if it's if it's necessary or not it goes back to that adhd so i think you know i'm usually pretty good about filling in all the mysterious gaps you know i i don't really leave out much detail so um i do uh you know if people are interested in you know asking more questions or learning more or just hearing the ideas that i have whatever i like i said i don't have 
a huge community of people that believe in the things that I do in my day-to-day life. So um, I'm all about, you know, connecting and, and um, learning more from others. So. Yes, thank you so much for everything yeah. you do and for who you are. It's really, uh, yeah, great. Oh, thank you so much for, for having me. I really appreciate it. I was very nervous. I'm glad I was able to accomplish. <laughs> you did wonderful. <laughs> thank you so great. much. for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.